You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you can, turn in your Bibles to Philippians. If you guys can make your way to the book of Philippians. How's it? You guys doing all right? I know it's been kind of depressing, this rain, huh? What's up with that? Um, it's just been raining nonstop. I've been, I like, like it for one day, and then I'm, okay, I'm over it, right? We live in Kona. It's supposed to be sunny. Anyways, it's okay. Uh, it is kind of, it is great to, to be with you uh, here this morning. We're honored that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning with us. We are humbled that you, would, that you would come and that you would worship with us and that together we would study through the Word of God. And so it's, um, it's a privilege. We don't take it lightly. I want you guys to know that. We don't take this time lightly. Uh, much preparation, much prayer goes into this time as a church. All that we seek to do, we seek to glorify God in for the edification of His people. I mean, we do all that we do as a church so that you would know the joy there is in knowing Jesus. And so um, sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it brings up subjects I would probably never talk about in the scriptures unless we were going through the scriptures, which do determine what we talk about. And so today we're talking about one of those things that might even hurt a little bit, that maybe you might even disagree with some things that I might be implying or saying within the message. Some of the things have slightly been controversial within Christianity, but I'm going to preach to my biblical conviction of what I believe the Bible says, and I pray that you would hear what the Spirit is saying through the voice of Paul this morning. We looked last week in, in examining really uh, these powerful verses about Christ's humble example that we can never fully understand the extent of Christ's humility. We can never understand how low Jesus humbled himself unless we believe who Jesus really is. That unless we know who it is that humbled himself, it's insignificant if we do not know that Jesus is God. And so that's what Paul says. He said, who, though he was in the form of God, meaning Jesus was God. He was God at the beginning, that before anything was, Jesus was, and that even in Genesis 1, as you read the account of God creating the heavens and the earth, it is Jesus who is creating the heavens and the earth. Not that Jesus replaces God the Father. No, we worship a Trinitarian Godhead. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God the Son steps out of the riches of heaven to become a poor man on earth. Let's creation kill him and crucify him. Rises again on the third day. Oh, what a great, humble Savior we worship. That he did not hold on to his highest place, but was driven by the glory of the Father. In fact, in verse 7, we read that he was, he took on the form of a servant. 
God. You guys, think about that for a moment. I mean, this can, be, can become a quick cliche we run past. Think about this this morning. God served us. He made himself nothing, but not by subtraction, just so you know, but by addition. He added to his glory, to his deity, humanity. God put on human skin, and God, not by subtraction, but by addition, he became nothing by God, adding your sin and my sin through his wrathful judgment upon the cross. Jesus becomes nothing. And we are, have to, we are to have the same mind in Christ, Paul says. That is, that we are to humble ourselves because we serve a gracious God who humbles himself. Should we not resemble the God we worship? Should we not serve because we have a God who served? Should we not be humble because we have a God who is humble And what God has required you to lay down in humility, just so you know, is lame in comparison to what he laid down. So Jesus died for the glory of the Father. Why did Jesus die on the cross? First, first. I mean, you can read it throughout the Gospel of John. You can read it throughout the other Gospels. Jesus died to glorify God. And second, Jesus died to get you. Jesus died for sinful Man, Jesus died that while we were still sinners, he was thinking about us and demonstrating his love for us. And in doing so, we become his sons and daughters. So that at the name of Jesus, we read in verse 10 of chapter two, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so with that, we pick it up in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Let's stand for the reading of the word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Gracious Heavenly Father, we believe your word to be true. We believe that your word is alive and that it manifests itself in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we ask God that you would send your spirit to be in us and amongst us, to change us, to believe all that Paul is saying in verses 12 and verse 13. So we need ears to hear. We need our lives to be humble, God. God, you're, you're, you're real. And, and the work you do in us is, is a real work. 
And there should be real evidence of that. And so today, as we examine the scriptures, may we know that not only is it us who works, but God is you who work in us. And God, I believe this to be true even for this sermon. It is not just me who works, but God, it is ultimately you and your power working through your word. So Lord Jesus, bless this time. Would you be exalted for our joy, for your glory. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus works for us. Jesus works in us. Jesus works through us. In that order. I didn't make that up. I'm not that smart. I borrowed it from a a really smart dead guy, John Owen, who kind of came up with this thought, and I kind of put it into my own words. But I want you to write those things down because they are pivotal, pivotal, important to your Christian faith to understand. Jesus works for us. Jesus works in us, and Jesus works through us. Jesus works for us. What did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus do for me? Well, he was crucified. No one else could do that. No one else could be our atonement. No one else could satisfy the wrath of God and not just satisfy the wrath of God, but bring sinful man into himself unless Jesus did a great work for, for us. Jesus works for us. But not only does Jesus work for us in the crucifixion, Jesus works in us. This is not just speaking of for us, justification. In us, sanctification. That Jesus not only justifies us, but that Jesus works in us, and that is the work of sanctification. Now, if you don't know what that word sanctification means, it means to be set apart. It means that we are being set apart from our old lifestyle, from the ways we once lived, and we are growing in the holiness of God, being sanctified. It's a really fun process, in case you were wondering, right? It's where all of us are right now. Or at least, hopefully. Jesus works for us, crucifixion. Jesus works in us, sanctification. And Jesus works through us, sanctification as well. But sanctification for the sake of not just seeing us grow in the holiness of God so that others would be justified as well. I want you to brand these truths on your heart. I want you to wrap them, bind them around your life. Know that Jesus works for us, that Jesus works in us, and that Jesus works through us in that order. And keep these in mind as we make our way through these two loaded loaded verses this morning. Because Paul the Apostle is fighting for your joy. Remember that. He is fighting for your joy. He's saying if you are going to mature in Jesus, it means you must enjoy Jesus if you are going to mature in Jesus. And if you are going to mature in Jesus, you must not be confused. 
He wants to remove the confusion of God working in us and God working through us. Now, this is a big, big, big subject in Christianity. It's divided many. And listen, we're not going to let it divide us this morning. Some of us might stand on one side or another side on this issue. At the end of the day, we're going to submit all of our thoughts to the scriptures and let the Bible speak. So how is it going to begin this epic but controversial and somewhat, not really controversial, but somewhat but, but confusing topic for many people? Confusing because Paul had to even address this issue within the Philippians. Verse 12, he starts this truth off with this very unattractive word, therefore. Therefore, what in the world? Why would he say that word? Well, therefore is a word that is a word that really infuses what has been said before into what will be said. Therefore, or because of all that was talked about, since Jesus is most humble, since no one has gone lower than Jesus, and because Jesus has been raised from the dead, Paul is relentlessly challenging the Philippians. And notice what he says there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much, or my presence, but so much more in my absence, that they would reflect Jesus. So, you know, like, it, is it not a teacher's goal to be able to leave her classroom for three seconds and not have everything become an absolute disaster, right? Or parents, to know, like, like for us as parents right now, we're, we're in this stage of life where we're hoping, like, can the kids take care of breakfast? And they're starting to get there. There's some catastrophe, but it's like, oh, man, if they can, without me being there, but without my absence, can they take care of themselves? And that is the heart of Paul here. That they would reflect Jesus. Therefore, because Jesus is most humble, live out what is within you. Live out what is within you. So, if there is a massive gap between what you say with your mouth or believe in your mind and what you do with your life, let today be a sobering reminder that you need to work that out. The modern church has been plagued with a vague Jesus half-committed preachers, and lukewarm Christians. And I know that there are other pastors and other churches that you could have gone to or that you've been a part of that have softer messages and that the pastor is a bit nicer than me. I get it, I know. But I hope that you hear my heart in this message because this is the heart of the scriptures. We are fighting for your joy and no fight is fought without blood and without bruises and without pain. Therefore, because Jesus has humbled himself, know this because I love you. This is the heart of Paul. That is, Paul is about to bring this hard truth. He says, because Jesus is humble... Because we serve a God who lowered himself and became nothing, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you, but he, start, but he says this, therefore, my beloved, my, my beloved, this is the heart of Paul. This truth is going to hurt, it's going to be hard, but you need to hear this, because you are my beloved. 
before he gets on them, he reminds his affection for them. He doesn't assume they know that he loves them. He is a good pastor to them. And he says, church, I love you. Church, I care for you. Christian, your soul matters. And that's why we do all that we do as Christians within the church, because as pastors, because we love one another and we're willing to have that hard conversation. It's all driven because Paul loves them. So he says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So this morning, if there is a gap between what you believe and how you live, Paul says, work that out. Figure it out. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to salvation. You better know where you stand. You better know what you believe. You better be able to look at your life and see evidence that if who you believe has affected how you live, that we should be living out what is living within us. Work out your own salvation, he says. Though. Notice that. So, are you saved? Have you been born again? Before we talk and go any further in this text, in these verses, it's all going to be law and it's all going to be things you have to do if you have not first been approved by God through his shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who washes you clean. Are you saved? And what I mean by are you saved is not Oh, well, you're here, so you must be saved. Listen, going to church does not mean salvation. Having a Christian family does not mean you are saved. Um, liking things in the Bible does not make you approved before God. I'm asking you, are you a Christian? Does your heart align with the heart of God in that no longer do you live for yourself, but you live for a greater glory than your own, that you have love and affection for Jesus? Are you saved? Notice Paul says, not work out your kid's salvation, not work out your parents' salvation, not work on your friend's salvation, work out your own salvation, personal. So I'm gonna get personal with you. <laughs> Are you saved? Jesus was hung on the cross for your salvation. We must talk about Jesus' work for you, the crucifixion. Listen, I, I want you, I'm telling you this because Jesus doesn't want your religious obligation. Jesus doesn't want you to be kind of frustrated and, and trying to do the right thing religiously. He wants your affection. He wants you to know that you are loved by him and that you can love him, that you can enjoy him. Are you saved? Have you been born again? Maybe you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which the demons do, but you not bent your knee in submission to him, what Christians do. Repentance. 
Now, I also want you to see Paul says, work out your own salvation. Work it out. He doesn't say work on it. He doesn't say work on your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. Work it out. Because you can't work for salvation. Be born again by the Holy Spirit if you were not saved. But how should we work out our salvation? He doesn't leave us there. He says, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now, mind you, this is the book of Philippians written to Christians in Philippi. Paul has no major rebuke for this church. Challenging in these verses, yes, but no major rebuke. He's writing this to mature Christians. Or mature, I should say mature Christians because no one's mature. Maturing, right? Maturing Christians, we'll call it that. This is Jesus' work in us. For us, justification. In us, fear and trembling. Sanctification. Seeing that God is good and glorious. Seeing that we are seeing ourselves as bad and sinful. This causes us to tremble before him because we have no right to stand before him. We tremble before him in fear, knowing we have no right except by the righteousness of Jesus. And so Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. So is he implying here that we can earn our salvation? Because some people use this verse for that. Is he implying we can work for salvation? Well, instead of me rambling on about this, I figured I would let the, the Bible speak for itself. And here's what we have seen. I want you to say, here's what we've seen so far in the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says, grace and peace only come from God. If you are ever going to experience grace, if you are ever going to experience peace, it is only going to be from God. Peace and grace can only happen through God. Chapter one, verse six, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Jesus began the good work in you. Paul says, and I am sure of this. He is confident that Jesus is the one who began the work. Chapter one, verse 28, your salvation is that from God, says Paul. Verse 29 of chapter one, God has granted salvation to us. Chapter two, verse eight, God, not me, this is the Bible. God became a man and died on the cross to receive us as his own, chapter two, verses eight and nine, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and even under the earth would, would bow, confess that Jesus is Lord. So can we work for, earn, by good deeds, somehow achieve salvation? All those verses there would scream, absolutely not. You cannot work for, earn, achieve salvation. It would go all against that Paul is fighting for here. We cannot earn salvation. 
You cannot, on your best day of righteousness, stand before a holy God and be able to look what I've done. You know what he says? It looks like a pile of, you know what? So, that's the Bible. There's a more graphic image that I won't give you that Isaiah brings up. That's raunchy and disgusting. On our best day, we got nothing before God. We can't earn salvation And if you agree with what the Bible is saying, but you're having a hard time with this, here's why. It's because you're caught between these two paradoxes. And understandably so. What does God do for me? And and what do I do for God? And how do those reconcile? How do those work themselves out? Pun intended. How do we take these two truths and make sense of them. Since we have them, we must press them together and let the Bible speak for itself. Well, thankfully, Paul does this for us. Let's look down. I want you to see this in the scriptures. The end of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. How? For God is at work in you. So what is Paul saying here? How do we reconcile these two truths? Here's how. Work out what God has worked within. Work out. It should be evident in the way that you live, that you were saved because God has actually saved you. God has saved you by his grace. It is the work that he did in us. Bear with me, Christian, but hear me on this. Does not the cross of Jesus Christ scream We are desperate sinners. The cross should serve to you and to me that we are truly desperate in our place of sin. Hopeless, actually. Yeah, but verse 12 says, work out your own salvation. Yes, it does. I agree. But if you ask Paul, who does this work? Who's really working here? What would Paul answer? He answers, verse 13a, for God is at work in you. Like it or not, that's what the Bible says. This is, though, notice, a command for a saved person, a person who has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So I want you to hear me on this. A life that has truly been marked by Christ will manifest itself in how, we, how that is worked out with the world, worked out with our relationships, worked out, not for salvation, but because we are saved. There should be evidence in that. This is an emphasis on us growing in obedience towards God. Work out your salvation? Yes. How? For God is at work in you. Now there are two dangers Christians can fall into when it comes to this text. Okay? Two dangers. 
Christians can fall into when it comes to these type of verses. The first danger, which is the, hear me on this, is the lesser of the two dangers. But the first danger is that we think we contribute to our own salvation. We would not say it, but in reality, we disagree with what Paul says when he says that God began the good work in you, that God initiated salvation, that God is the one who grants it to us through Christ on the cross. Jesus doesn't really initiate. He needs our help. So somehow, grace is not enough, but we have to muster up effort on our own to be saved we have to accomplish salvation in one way or another because grace is too scandalous. I mean, if all you do is just talk about grace, it is far too scandalous that grace is. You gotta work for it. And even if it's just a little bit, you gotta, you gotta, there's some work involved. Where Jesus is more of a, a timid boy waiting to get invited to Sadie Hawkins' dance. Oh, I just hope somebody invites me. Less of the two, hear me, hear me. Less of the two dangers. Second, trap Christians or dangers Christians can fall into when it comes to this text is, hey, God, yes and amen. God does this work. Preach that grace, pastor. Bring that grace to me. I want to hear more grace because I don't have to do any work at all. I don't have to serve. I don't have to give, I don't have to love my wife, I don't have to take care of my kids, I don't have to go evangelize, because you know what? Grace, far more dangerous than the first, and very dangerous. Jesus has already done everything for me. I don't have to be responsible. I can just enjoy his grace, which that word enjoy is just masked by the reality of abuse as grace. Any work? Legalism. You're going to talk about work in the Christian faith? No, legalism. They would disagree with Paul when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. They would disagree with what James says in James chapter 2. Faith apart from works is what? Dead. I'm not saying this is for everyone, but do you fall into one of these two categories this morning? Which, which are you? Do you need to get off your butt and do something for the glory of God because you've been abusing the grace of God and you've been using God's grace to mask and cover and enable you in your sin? Or do you need to stop trying to work for it and fight for it and, and, and then somehow think that you are not 100% approved by God? Yes, you've received grace in Jesus Christ, but you need to do more to earn God's favor and love and you are killing yourself in the process. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. This is, Paul, Paul reconciles the two right here. It's not legalism. It's not the abuse of grace. It's just grace. Pure, unstained, righteous, beautiful grace. Grace. 
if I could put it in the most simple terms, it's this, guys. Saving faith works. Saving faith works. God's grace does not allow you to sinfully indulge in all the pleasures you once did. God's grace does not allow you to enjoy your heart's sinful desires because God, God's grace, according to the scriptures, enables us to live in obedience to God's good desire. If our Savior was obedient to the point of death and we are saved by his grace, it means that we have been, guys, see, we've been saved into, into an obedient life. Again, our life should be reflective of the Savior that we serve. And if our Savior was obedient and we've been saved by that Savior, it means we've been saved into a life of obedience now. No longer a life of rebellion. That died with you when you were crucified with Christ. He is calling us to live a godly life. Paul is calling us to live out the gospel in reality that our life would be worthy in a manner of the gospel. Obey, work out, because God is working in you. But I need you to catch this, because if we just left it there, I think, I think we'd be left to interpret our motives in this on our own. Your motivation in obeying and working these things out. The reason you could ever be counted worthy to do anything for God is because God has done it all for you. I'm going to say that again. The reason you could ever be counted worthy to do anything for God is because God has done it all for you. I Actually, I have a verse to prove this truth to you. It's, it's Ephesians 2. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We should have it on the screen, actually, for you guys. It's, it's, it is extremely helpful. Now, like, man, we've been visiting this verse a lot of lately. A lot lately. We, we have, um, but, I, but I want you to see the context, the broader context of how this verse is implied to you living out your Christian life in maturity. We all know, verse Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, there it is, grace, what's the first thing that, that is encapsulated over everything? Grace. You have been saved through Faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. To drive it home further, it is not a result of works. So that no one can boast. No one can brag. No one can boast. It's not by works. It's all by his grace. And that manifests itself through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which were prepared, this blows my mind, beforehand. Beforehand. Before you ever lived, before you ever, ever breathed, before this world was created, God had prepared the good works beforehand that you should walk in them. 
Do you see how grace enables a life of obedience? That grace does not enable a life of disobedience and rebellion, but in fact, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it doesn't do that because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you are walking in obedience that God has required of you, you are in step with the work God prepared before the foundations of the world. Isn't that insane? That, that when you do something for God's glory, and you're walking in obedience with him, God's like, yep, I ordained that before the world was created. That's what that verse is, is saying. Our effort and ability to work it out is because I want you to see this. We are his workmanship. And even when we do a great room work for God, notice there, there's no room to boast, is there? No room to boast. Why? Grace. God gets all the glory. There's no room for boasting. This is, this is so great. No one is awesome before God. This verse doesn't let that happen. No one is awesome before God. Because we are his workmanship, and even when we walk in good works, it's God who prepared that beforehand. You might be thinking, no, 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 Travis, you're taking this truth further than it was intended to be taken. Okay, verse 13 again. We visit verse 13. For it is God who works in you both. He describes how God works in you. Check this out. This is amazing. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul here, and I need you to see this, reassures the Philippians that they do not work on their own. Which, does that not bring you comfort this morning? Christian, you're not on your own. Their wills and their actions, according to Paul, are empowered by God. Which means this morning, your wills and your actions for God's good pleasure are empowered by God. Am I wrong or, or is Colossians 1, we have, uh, this is extremely important because again, we're, we're gonna, um, there's tons of verses we could use on this. Colossians 1.11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. How do we have great endurance? How do we have great patience? We're supplied with strength and power from God. The glory of God is what empowers us to continue on in strength and the glory of God is what can, empowers us to continue on in endurance. Only God's power makes our obedience possible. Only God's power makes our obedience possible. Okay, we've talked a lot about theories, not theories, but, but truths and and these great things that, that we're holding up and saying, all right, God, if these things to be true, then how does this look in my life? 
you can place your hope and your assurance, Christian, that your work is not on your own. If you're entangled in sin, if you are stuck in a rut of depression and you feel like you can never get out of it, Maybe you know sin is wrong, but you only have a very small desire to slay and kill your own sin. Let this verse bring comfort to you this morning. Your willing, your will to kill that sin, your willing and your working is supplied by his divine energy. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think a great example of this is, uh, remember the the paralyzed man in John 5 um, at the pool of Bethesda? I don't remember how many years. I think it's like 30-something years. He's um, just paralyzed in this state at the pool of Bethesda. There's a lot of other sick people there, but Jesus goes to this one sick person, this man, lying there on his mat, hopeless. Tradition story has it that certain people at certain times would be dropped into the pool and raised up for healing. But this man never experienced such healing. Made effort all on his own to try to be healed try to not be paralyzed any longer, and Jesus walks up to this man, and what does he tell him? He commands him, get up, take your bed, go and walk, go. Command of God. What does the man do? He gets up. He takes his bed, and he walks That is power from God. The man truly experienced the grace of God and the grace of God. In his command, God, Jesus' command to him enabled him to get up and do what he could never do on his own. This is what we're talking about this morning. It is only through Jesus' work can I work. It is only through Jesus' willing can I even will I love what Charles Spurgeon says on this topic. The assistance of divine grace is not given to put aside our own efforts, but to excite them. Let your soul be stirred this morning. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. And listen, guys, I'm with you on this. Because when I cannot sleep at night, when I am downcast because I've looked at my life and I thought I would be more holy than I was, than I am, when I enjoy my sin instead of enjoying God, 
when I regret things that I have said and I feel like I am drowning. Church, I turn to this verse because this verse gives me hope and assurance that even if I have a small desire and will to slay my sin, I know that that desire is from God and that God's not done with me yet because he began the good work in me and he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. I can keep fighting because Jesus has won the war. That's true for you. Christian, even your slightest desire to dislike sin and to want to glorify God is evidence that God is at work in you. Or the lack thereof is maybe the evidence that God has not worked in you at all. Be born again. So I can keep working out my salvation with fear and with trembling. And you can too because God is at work in us. Jesus works for us. Jesus works in us. And Jesus works through us. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, our willing comes from your willing. Our work comes from your work. And this work you prepared beforehand, these good works that we should walk in them. May we never turn within for approval from you. May we never look within ourselves to try to work up love and affection from you for God, you've loved us already because you've given us your son Jesus. And as we're taking this time, God, just reflecting on your word and thinking about the scriptures, maybe at this moment there are those that are in here you're not saved. And God has begun a good work in you this morning. Place your faith in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Confess with your mouth and bend your knee because he is the king of kings and there's no name that is higher or greater than his name. And you will be saved. And maybe you're a Christian and and you have been abusing the grace of God. Repent. Work that out right now. And maybe you're a Christian. You try to work for your salvation. And because you've earned it, you're afraid you can lose it. Listen, if you could lose your salvation, you would. But it was given to you by the grace of God. Come to enjoy his grace. Bask in his presence. Learn to enjoy him Restore, God, to those in here this morning the joy of their salvation if that's where they're at. 
So Lord, thank you for this encouraging word you've given us in Philippians. Thank you that you are a glorious God. May we be strengthened with all power and according to his glorious might, God, so that we may have endurance and patience for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.